Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a complete global market access service from strategy through to implementation. In the UK, all our work is underpinned by authentic NHS insights. Our in-house experts work closely with a national network of associates who occupy strategic, operational and clinical roles within the NHS. Leaders in their field, their knowledge and experience helps MTech Access to be as close to the front line of care delivery as possible. Please subscribe to the podcast or follow our LinkedIn company page for more information. Good afternoon and welcome to the MTech Access Words of Wisdom webinar. I'm Tom Clark and I'm back with another uh, of our fantastic guests from the Health and Care Archipelago. Um, primary care has been in a precarious position for a long time now, uh, and never more so than now. Reducing workforce, concerns about the future of PCNs and an ever-increasing level of demand make it a pivotal time. Lay on top of this the rise in highly infectious diseases and the need to respond to the external structural changes. It's easy to see why primary care is struggling to juggle its priorities. To help us understand how these priorities are being assessed and managed, I'm joined today by Dr. Alex Deegan, uh, who's the primary care medical director for the Devon Integrated Care System. Uh, and senior GP partner at the Mid-Devon Medical Practice. As well as still seeing patients each week, which you can see Alex is in, in the practice today. Um, Alex's extensive experience as a commissioner with the NHS Northern Eastern and Western Devon CCG. Uh, and Alex's focuses on influencing and improving healthcare provision for all patients, particularly around transformation, sustainable models of care and the wider determinants of health. Alex, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Tom. Um, Thanks. Can you just start by sharing a little bit about your current roles and a bit about the system that you work in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you said, Tom, I I work in Devon. I've been a GP for uh, 17 years now. Um, I'm a GP partner in a a rural uh, dispensing practice in the middle of of mid-Devon. For those of you that know the area, it's kind of between two market towns called Tiverton and and Crediton. So I work, work in a practice for three days a week. And um, for two days a week, I work as the primary care medical director for the ICF in, in Devon. Um, so the medical director role is a, a, a kind of more strategic role, obviously looking at, at how how the NHS kind of fits together and works in, in Devon and how we work closely with, uh, with our, our partners across the system. That includes our partners in, in the local authority. Um, Devon's quite a big county. Um, it's uh, obviously in, in the southwest on the on the peninsula. Um, we've got Somerset and, and Dorset to the east, and and Cornwall to the west. Within Dorset, there are four acute providers, <clears throat> so four big um, big big acute hospitals, um, kind of at the the geographical edges of the the county. We've got about 120 GP practices across the whole county. Uh, the yeah we've got a mix of kind of city city dwellers and and lots of rurality as well particularly where i am so my gp practice i think is about 400 square miles and we don't have a single roundabout or or traffic light on it fantastic thank you and i I mean we can imagine some of the challenges that you you might face around them can you just expand a little bit on some of the sort of specific challenges for primary care in in your population yeah absolutely so i I don't think it's all that different to other parts of uh, of the country, really, Tom. Uh, 
that you may have seen in, in the press last week or, or the week before, um, there was a, the, some articles on um, kind of primary care and, and how well it, it performs or how well it's perceived to perform by, by patients. And, and Devon actually was the second highest scoring county in, uh, in the country. Um, so you might think that everything's kind of rosy, but um, but uh, but but it, it it's not. There are, there are lots of difficulties in, in primary care, predominantly around kind of demand. Um, that there there is more work than it is easy for us to to manage. We've got issues with regards to workforce, um, and again, it's interesting in, in Devon. Different different parts of Devon have slightly different kind of workforce issues. Um, there's always estates, uh, estates issues. Um, so, and again, that that varies uh, across the whole whole country and and across the county in in Devon. Um, but but predominantly, it's about matching matching capacity with demand. That that's one of the things that I think primary care struggles with with most. And again, over the whole country, really. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, and obviously, the context of, of everything we're talking about is all around the ICS piece, integrated care systems. Can you just talk a little bit about how primary care has responded to some of the challenges in a more integrated way and how it's working across the system? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I think it's, um, it's it's interesting. I think COVID really, in a way, it helped um, the, the NHS generally, actually, and, and, and the local authorities. Because with COVID, there was an imperative to uh, there was an imperative to collaborate. We had to do things quickly. We had to work with partners who we hadn't necessarily worked with before, and, and we just needed to make it happen, um, both for for us working in the NHS, but but more importantly for the for the patients. So, um, with, with regards to kind of primary care and, and collaboration, there's there's a lot more uh, collaboration get going on. Um, as I said, I've been a GP for, for 17 years now. And if I turn back the clock and look back to 2005, 2006, each practice was, was an individual practice. And, and we kind of kept ourselves to ourselves. We didn't necessarily speak speak or work with the, the practice next door to us and, and very much looked at what was within kind of our, our four walls or or with our, with our population. So, COVID uh, encouraged collaboration. And the other thing that's really encouraged collaboration is the development of primary care networks. Um, so uh, primary care networks or PCNs, they were set up uh, just before COVID actually. So uh, kind of eight, nine months before COVID. And so primary care had already started on that, that journey of collaboration, looking outside our own four walls in, in our practice. So we were beginning to do that um, kind of, yeah, in, in the a year and, and a bit longer, really, but before COVID hit us. So, as I said, I, I suppose just using my PCN as a, as an example, what one thing that made a huge difference to us actually was the COVID vaccination program. Um, although we were working more closely together, um, we we needed to work jointly to uh, to to vaccinate all our patients um, when the COVID vaccines became available at the beginning of uh, 2020, uh, 2020, 2021. Um, and actually um, we vaccinated in a local sports centre, there were uh, six practices at, at the time in our in our PCN, there are five now because two of them have merged, but actually the, there are all these people in the practices next door that we kind of knew, but didn't didn't necessarily have a relationship with or didn't talk to. And suddenly we had to work together, making sure that we collectively vaccinated all, all of our patients and just being put in the same room, working alongside each other, 
you develop relationships, um, you're pulling in the same direction. And uh, I'm hoping that that, um, that that kind of stands us in good stead going forward. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And, and a couple of months ago, we saw the publication of the Fuller Stock Tate report around sort of primary care and, and expanding that piece around working within systems. Can, can you just talk a little bit about kind of the, the implications of the Fuller Stock Take report uh, in reality to how primary care might work? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really interesting report from, from Claire Fuller. Um, and I mean, it, essentially, my reading of it, it is that PCNs aren't, aren't going anywhere. I think it, it really puts primary care at the centre of, of ICSs. And, and not just primary care, but PCNs as well. I think there's a, I don't know who coined the phrase, but uh, but I often, oh, over years I've heard the phrase, if primary care fails, the system fails. And I, and I think the Fuller Report recognizes that. It's really important that, that we have, um, that we have um, good foundations in primary care out in the community because that's where the majority of uh, of contacts between the NHS and patients occurs. Um, I, I think, uh, I can't remember exactly offhand, but I think about 90% of, uh, of contacts in the NHS um, occur within primary care. Um, we often hear hear lots about um, about secondary care, um, but actually they, they, only, they only have about 10% of the, of the contacts. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. One one of the things that is mentioned in that report is the this idea of integrated neighbourhood teams as kind of the next step of, of PCNs or an evolution. What's your kind of understanding of that in integrated neighbourhood team and and kind of how might you look at those sorts of ideas locally? Yeah, so it's um, it, it's essentially what PCNs were set out to to do. I think Tom, and it's just kind of a, an expansion of of the the foundations of. A, of of PCNs. So what neighbourhood teams are is um, so it's based around a, a, pop, a population um, of a PCN. So PCNs generally are around 30 to, to 50,000 50, patients. But the idea is all about collaboration. Um, so it's about me as a, as a GP working closely with my district nurses, with, um, with, with other healthcare professionals who are actually employed by by other healthcare organisations, so that that's that's the beginning of it. But it actually goes much wider than that. So it's it's about those community teams, but also about how we interact with secondary care. And actually, um, some, some secondary care physicians may end up being part of our community teams. Um, and it goes outside the NHS, so it's much wider than just health. So there are there are some neighbourhood teams. In fact, there's one there's one up in in North Devon um, where they involve the fire service, the police, um, the, uh, the the adult social care, um, other bits of the local authority, and the uh, the voluntary and community sector. So it's all about us working jointly together um, to give the best care. We can for for our patients. For, for our, sorry, I was keep calling them patients, but for our population, um, and the because there are lots of um, yeah. Thinking of the police and, and fire service, they they come into contact with uh, with individuals that that have medical issues or other social care issues, and sometimes they end up coming to see us as a GP, but we might not actually be the the right person for them to see. So it's just about joining things up, making sure 
that we improve the health of our population and use the collective resources of all, all of those uh, all of those sectors that I mentioned. And I suppose actually one one phrase that I I often use, um, uh, and I'm sure you've heard of it, Tom, is about the wider determinants of health. So uh, I think in the NHS we're very good at fixing people when they go wrong, but actually there are things like um, fuel poverty, access to education, um, access to transport. All of those things um, have a real impact on, on people's health, but they're not something that the NHS um, kind of has responsibility for commissioning or providing. So it's an opportunity for us to work with some of those partners that I, I just explained to address some of those wider determinants, many of which, if we get right, will stop people from becoming unwell in the first place. Yeah, brilliant. And and probably one maybe misconception of Devon is that actually there's some quite severe pockets of, of deprivation around the county, aren't there? Um, I, I think in, in terms of kind of bringing in the fire service, the, the police and others, so in these webinars and, and I think probably for the audience, you know, just more widely, kind of we all get the idea that bringing everyone together is likely to have benefits. In, in reality, having those kind of partners part of the conversation around your local population what do you see as a likely impact of of that kind of stuff is it that you won't be having people coming in is it that they won't be getting as poorly is it that they won't be sort of exacerbating when they uh, when they've got conditions what do you see as being the, the biggest impacts yeah i, I think all, all of those tom i mean the, the hopefully by using our collective resources we can move things upstream a little bit where uh, I've been involved in management and leadership in the NHS for, for years. And we we're often it feels like we're putting out fires, <laughs> that something happens and our attention is diverted to, to sorting out the, uh, the, the fire of, of the day. But what, um, what we need to do is to, to be a bit more strategic, work a bit more upstream, um, look at those wider determinants of health um, that hope, as I said, hopefully, to be honest, that actually a lot of the wider determinants, they, they start, um, I said in my, my job interview for this job, actually, it, it starts kind of preconception. It, it's really important that um, the, the parents-to-be are aware of uh, the importance of healthy pregnancy, then actually when, when baby's born, actually need, need to make sure that that um, that the, the children have the, the best start, um, have the have access to the right nutrition, um, have access to to support through health visitors. So it's all about bringing things up upstream, giving people the best start in life, and con and continuing giving them the, the the best opportunities to to live a healthy life, kind of right the way through their life. So it's. Uh, a, uh, um, sorry, just going back to the, to the original question. So, so yes, it's about prevention. It's about actually when people become unwell, um, recognizing it quickly or helping them to recognize it quickly, making sure that they see the right person. They seek, sorry, seek help and seek the right person, which might, might be me in a GP practice, but actually it might be the Citizens Advice Bureau or or, or one of our, our other partners. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and, and just just generally improving the health of the the, the population. Yeah. Okay. And in in terms of kind of the the clinical aspects of healthcare management that you do in primary care, by having that integrated neighbour team and and working with those partners, do you see things that you're doing in the practice, whether that might be taking blood or changing 
dressings or or some of those sorts of things that are kind of more community or, or can, can be associated with being done in the community. Do you see some of the, those things might be done by other people elsewhere? So, for example, you know, the fire service might be out and might be able to change change a dressing or something with the right training. Yeah, it, it might be stretching a little bit to suggest a, a, um, a, a fire person change, change in addressing, but certainly that there are other people that, that we can use. So I've had conversations mm -hmm. in the past about um, our, our social care colleagues, for the sake of argument, who, who are going in and providing personal care um, to, to people. Actually, that there's there's no reason really why why we couldn't work with them and train them to, to do uh, some of the, the basic, uh, or, or, yeah, so maybe not just basic actually, but to do some of the some of the things that historically have been been done by other people. Um, and I think historically, again, it's been really difficult because because we've been working in silos, and it it always seems really difficult to even when it's the right thing to do to transfer a budget or transfer money to to make it happen but now we're working as a as an ICS with a, a collective responsibility the hope is that actually some of those conversations will will become easier although it, it's going to take a bit of while uh, a bit of time for, for ICSs to to mature I'm sure yeah you mentioned the b word there budgets um obviously that's that's a perennial challenge for everyone within the NHS uh, so primary care and, and PCMs have been funded in a fairly consistent way, albeit with tweaks along the way for, for some time now. With the introduction of ICBs, do you see real differences in how funding might come down to primary care? Um, I, I think that, that remains to be seen really, Tom. I mean, the yeah, as you say, it's kind of work, worked it's worked one way for, for several years now it, it essentially um, every GP practice has a, a central contract for the majority of our services with, with NHS England and there are a, there are a handful of kind of other pots of money that um, uh, that we can access for, for doing kind of additional services and then obviously we've got money that comes directly through the the primary care network as well. So the money that comes through the primary care network, I think it it, it encourages that. Um, well, the, the way it comes down to us actually that there are I was going to use strings attached. That's an unfair phrase, but the the way the money comes down it, it encourages us, helps us to to work together in order to to access the money and improve services for our patients. I hope as we I don't, I don't quite know what it's going to look like going forward. At, at, at some point, um, there may need to be a, a change to the to the, the way primary care is funded nationally, um, and and it may be that uh, that the ICSs, ICBs have have more freedom to to move pots of money um, around the system, including to primary care, if that's what it, it makes sense to do. But I, I don't. I certainly don't think there's that there isn't a, I don't think there's a kind of a plan that's been been written down yet nationally, and I suspect NHS England will be will be having a think about about actually whether the present contract is fit for purpose or or, or whether things need to change. Yeah. Okay. So can I take from that that kind of for the for the, for the foreseeable future, primary care is still going to be driven by that kind of central contracting and local contracting the way that it typically has been yeah I, I i think so for for the moment i mean my my hunch 
my hunch is that uh, well, PCNs originally were, were just around for five years, and we're three three and a bit years in, into it, aren't we? I can't see them. I can't see PCNs going anywhere, and certainly reading the the fuller stock take, it, it kind of implies that PCNs are, are here to stay. I, ju I just wonder whether actually more of the more of the funding will be will be done at PCN level um, to to drive to drive that collaboration, to drive economies of scale, of efficiency. Um, so I suspect that more money will be at PCN base, uh, more more future money will be at a at a larger level of PCN basis rather than individual practice practice basis. Yeah, okay, brilliant, thank you. Um, and just, uh, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this or not, but in, in, in terms of that bit there about PCNs being here to stay, um, we hear all the time about PCNs around the country that are kind of skeptical about the direction of travel or, or not co kind of coalescing themselves because they're waiting for something else to come along. For those kind of PCNs who were not kind of bought into to collaborative working, if you could give them a, a fairly simple message as to kind of why it's important, what would that be? Um, I, I suppose that it just appears, Tom, that that that's the that it, it's the national direction of, of travel. And don't get me wrong; it, at times, it's it's not easy working collaboratively across um, a, a, across more than more than one practice. Um, but actually, there are uh, there are there are some PCNs that you see across the country that are really thriving. Um, and there are lots of there are lots of opportunities. There's, there are opportunities to uh, to do different things for your patients, new things for for your patients. And I, I, I I'm someone who who very much um, I, I kind of embrace change. I, I quite like change, but I think in in every walk of life. Uh, in every walk of life, whether we're talking, um, uh, I don't know, using banking or supermarkets or, or whatever, as an example, things change and, and things evolve and primary care, healthcare kind of will evolve. So I suppose I just in, encourage them to, to kind of embrace it. it. It's kind of it's the only game in town at the moment. Um, and um, ultimately, although it might be difficult, um, it, it's it's patients that that might uh, that, that that might kind of lose out if um, if uh, if PCNs aren't embraced. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much. So so shifting attention now to kind of priorities within within primary care, just for our audience's benefit, could you just kind of list you know from your perspective in your role as as the medical director. What are the top kind of two or three priorities for you at the moment, around Devon? Um, I think, uh, and I, I said at the outset, actually, Tom, kind of demand and, and capacity. Um, so how how do we match them? The, there's there's more work than uh, than primary care can 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 deal with, really. Um, so how how do we help that? Um, Stability of, of practices um, kind of get going forward, and, and again, this it's not unique to, to Devon, but across the across the whole of the country, there are, there are practices that um, that there are practices that are struggling to recruit, um, or whether that be GPs, nurses, reception staff. It, interesting. Well, one of my observations that actually is that. Um, we, again, we, we hear in the uh, we hear in the news about difficulties getting HGV drivers and uh, people working in 
in supermarkets and and hospitality and and, and everything but actually it's true in in primary care as well it, it can be really difficult to to recruit um recruit not clinical staff but kind of administrators receptionists um so yeah so so making sure that that practices can thrive making sure that they are stable um that that's really important at the moment um and uh the other thing is uh is actually ha how are we going to cope through winter I'm, I'm i'm really worried about about this winter um for, for a number of reasons but actually how how can we how can we set up pr uh, primary care and uh, oh, how can we support primary care and the wider system to make sure that when we go through our busy winter period which I, I suspect could well be our well, is likely to be our, our busiest, most difficult winter ever. How how can we how can we support them um, and make sure that that patients get the the services that that they need? Yeah, and you, you mentioned winter there, and and obviously there's been all sorts of things in the news about how difficult summer is at the moment, let alone winter, and, and we're aware of you know, the likelihood of more COVID waves and and, and a, uh, quite a. Uh, an impactful flu season. Can you just talk a little bit more about kind of what you are worried about for the winter that we're heading towards? Yeah, it, it's about demand and capacity again, isn't it, Tom? And, and about prioritising kind of what what we do. Um, actually, yeah, everyone says the whole year is like winter now, and, and there's an element of truth in that. But uh, but all the your respiratory illnesses and kind of frailty and things that that's much worse kind of over the winter period. And it um, I mean, in my, my experience over the last 17 years, it kind of um, accepting I'm quite far south. It might, might be different a bit, bit further up north. Um, but we we kind of start getting busier beginning of October, middle of October. Depends a little bit on the weather. Actually, if we have a, a kind of warmer October, it, it starts a bit later. And then we're really busy right through till kind of end, end of February. Um, and then often it, it kind of tails off then. So actually, how, how do we make sure that we've got the right that we've got the right capacity and flex within primary care? So that when people um, when people need uh, need a primary care service, they got access to it. How can we um, actually? Quite often, I'll I'll see patients who um, who I'm, I might not be the the right person to, to or might not necessarily be the right person for them to see or or, or to help them. Um, so actually, how do we make sure that? Not only do they have access to to us in primary care, but how do we access um, or can they can they access self care through the local pharmacy? Uh, how can we get information to them uh, information to them in, in other ways to um, to access self care? Um, and sorry, I got a bit distracted there. Someone someone sent an email to me. I don't know whether you heard the bing. Yeah, um, I should have sent them. A, you're out of office for me. <laughs> Um, sorry, Tom. Just re repeat that question again for me. It, it was just really about kind of expanding on on winter and the, what's going to be particularly worrisome about about the winter that we're heading into. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, lots of our, our GP practices have, have got gaps in in the workforce. So actually, uh, if there are gaps in the workforce already, and and the and the and primary care is generally under strain. If if you add more patients into that, actually, it it, it doesn't take much to um to 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 make it more likely to to fall over. 
and I'm, I'm really um, and again you, you see it in the national press that don't don't you and I'm, I'm not singling out healthcare as as being the most affected by by COVID um, because again it's affected all, all sectors but but really worried about about staff in in the in the NHS and in, in primary care um, because it it's um, yeah it's been a tough two three years and we're as I said, that there's there's not so much of a lull in the summer. It just seems to be con continual. We we know there are lots of people um, retiring a, a, a bit earlier. There are people taking time off uh, time off sick because of the the stresses. Um, so so sometimes it feels like a bit bit of a deck of cards, really. Um, so yeah, how, how do we how do we make sure that we support primary care, make sure they've got access to the right workforce, make sure that the that the patients got access to, to the services that, that they need over the busy winter period. Yeah, and, and I mean in, in terms of that, that that's you know lots of wicked problems there, aren't there, about um workforce and those sorts of things. I think there's, sometimes we pick up a bit of a sense of kind of uh, you know de defeatism around these are just problems that are there and we can't do anything about them. What are you doing or can you do um, to kind of mitigate some of those challenges around the things that you talked about? Yeah, I mean, there are uh, there are a number of things. I suppose it, it depends what, what you're looking at, isn't it? Um, there's certainly, uh, there, there, there are some digital, um, not solutions, solutions would, would be the wrong phrase, I think, but there are some things that we can do digitally um, to, to help. Um, so we can uh, actually every GP or every GP practice in the country now does kind of some kind of electronic consulting, which isn't everyone's cup of tea. I'd say I, I, I quite like it, actually. Um, I've, I often find it a more efficient use of, of my time. I can I can tend to get through them more quickly and, and patients get the get the, the right care. Um, we can um, actually what, what, one of the things that's been done nationally, which I've, I've been involved in, in in Devon, which has been quite helpful, is 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 um, setting up things like mentoring schemes. Um, so it's the NHSE mentoring program, which we put in place in, in Devon. And the idea of that is is twofold, actually. So it um, that most of the mentors or a number of the mentors at uh, kind of middle or end of their, their career gives them something slightly different to do, helps retain them, but also allows them to kind of transfer some of their their knowledge, skills, and wisdom to uh, to some of the, those newer GPs that uh, that are just starting out in in the first kind of year or two of their career. Um, there are there are often pots of money um, that we can uh, that we can give to, to primary care to enhance capacity um, over the the winter period. Um, so there was a, a, a winter access fund last year um, that practices. Could get money for to put on extra um, GP clinics or paramedic clinics. Uh, there are a number of ways that, that you could spend it. Um, so so the, there's, there's all sorts of things. It, it's a bit like marginal gains, isn't it? So there are there's not there's not one solution, um, but there are lots of uh, there, there are lots of little kind of things that can be done that hopefully add up to something big. But it'll still feel really busy and it'll still be a really difficult winter no matter how how much we do because there's always a, a a concern that how if, if you increase capacity it, it'll get filled um so we could we could double or triple the number of of um primary care appointments over winter 
but they, they may well all, all get filled. Yeah, okay. So in, in, in terms of the demand piece then, uh, our audience will, will offer uh, largely sort of be interested in particular patient groups. Is this stuff that you're looking at at the moment about um, particular population groups, I should call them, or, or particular pathways of care? So are you looking, for example, at elements of respiratory care and how best are we managing either the pathway or or that respiratory population to help kind of lower that demand and improve their quality of life as well? Yeah, I mean, re respiratory, oh, over winter, respiratory and frailty are always the, the, the two biggies, aren't, aren't they? And um, I think generally uh, primary care is quite good uh, or relatively good at, at respiratory, making sure that our patients have access to standby courses of steroids and antibiotics for their exacerbations of COPD and, and asthma and frailty. Um, again, we, well, it's always kind of top of the, the agenda, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure that we're doing or in, in just thinking in Devon, I'm not really involved in anything particular with, with regards to, to frailty. Um, and I know that some people kind of feel that 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 we've concentrated too much on frailty over the years and, and should be look, looking at, at at other things now. Um, but um, I mean, one of the things that I'm quite excited about, not necessarily for this winter, um, but kind of going forward, and, and this is with my that uh, uh, this is with my strategic hat on it is the the use of, of data and population health management to um to to help our population so for for those um for those attendees that, that aren't aware of population health management essentially the the idea is that that we get data um from uh, from from all parts of, of an ics so that would be primary care secondary care community services mental health um, the local authority, and actually we use that data and crunch it um, to look at gaps in services, um, gaps in pathways, particular population groups that might be um, that might be pitching up in uh, as emergency admissions regularly, and actually targeting interventions to to try and try and reduce that. Um, it's one of the things I'm really keen to do in Devon um, because because uh, our, our urgent care um, system is is struggling as is everyone else's to, to be fair but actually can we use that data to um, yeah to, to develop interventions um, or new services that that reduce uh, yeah reduce deterioration reduce demand um, help us um, help us identify kind of iller people more quickly so they don't get get so ill um, and and re reduce kind of length of stays and things like that. So in, in terms of that kind of population health management piece, obviously that's stuff that you're looking at, starting to look at within the system. Would you be receptive to people coming in, sort of third parties from industry or wherever it might be, to help flag those gaps for you? So you talk about urgent care, so whether it's stroke, heart attack, um, you know, some of those, um, you know, Big, big ticket items, I suppose. If people were coming along with that population health data and suggestions or, or ideas or best practice from elsewhere, is that something that at this moment in time would be something that is of importance to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always happy to get help from anyone that will offer it to me, to me Tom. Um, 
so yeah always always happy to to um to hear about ideas and, and ha have conversations that that might help my my population um population health management is a relatively a relatively new thing um nhs england had a um have, have had two two kind of pilots um so far wave one and wave two so i think they've had about um five or five or ten areas across the, the country where they've kind of just started doing a bit of, of population health management to build up the skills make sure make sure we know what we're doing but actually now population health management is going to be a priority for um for for, for all ics's and for pcns there's uh there are some things written into the the pcn contract with nhs england that really encourage us to uh to get involved with phm and actually uh, to be honest i i i don't need a i, I don't need that encouragement because it, it's the right thing to do um mm -hmm. it's just until now the and again it's it's partly because we've kind of worked in silos and lots of different organizations it's been really difficult to or, or impossible to get all the aggregated data together um but now um now it's getting e easier to do that particularly as we're working it in icss yeah yeah so you, you talk there about the different priorities and some of them are contractual some of them are data driven if want a better phrase when it comes to that actual kind of decision making process about what are we going to focus on this week next week this year next year who is involved in that process what drives it how do you as a, as a as a practice as a pcn as a as an ics land on the things that primary care is going to focus on yeah i mean there's, there's lots of um there's lots of business as usual tom which sometimes in a way some of us might have taken our eye off the, the ball a, a little bit over the last two three years during covid um so so what one of the things that um that a lot of practices uh, will be doing is looking at um i'm just I should better, better explain it for the, the attendees who might not know about it but there's something called quaff which is a, a quality and outcomes framework where actually every gp practice um has to or is is asked to to make sure that we are reviewing our patients with diabetes, heart disease, COPD, asthma, ischemic heart disease, make sure they're on the right medication, make sure their blood pressure or their conditions are, are, are well controlled. During COVID, um, COF was suspended a little bit and we, we were asked to concentrate on, on other things, um, including COVID vaccinations. So we need to we need to make sure that we're on the ball again this uh this financial year coffee years run from from april to april to march every year um there's a backlog of, of uh, probably a backlog of of work there um because some of those uh, some of those reviews that didn't happen um so we need to make sure that that we get back on board with the business as, as usual um and then also to be honest a, a lot of the um a lot of the kind of strategic work and priorities is, is partly driven by by the PCN DES. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's looking at kind of um, widening the the number and types of staff that that we have in practices. So um, our paramedics, our social prescribers, mental health professionals. Um, so so a lot of it is um, 
was going to say, I'm not sure that it's driven or influenced really by uh, by, by the, the PCN uh, PCN contract with with NHS England. And then depending on and using, I suppose using any PCN as an example, the people that that lead the the PCN um, will uh, they'll be getting involved with population health management. They'll be trying to understand their population, their practices, where the where the practices feel the pinch points are, what what services we need to to look at in investing in, and I mean sometimes. I suppose historically, it's kind of been a little bit of a a, a hunch or a, or, or a, I I fancied this or this or that member of staff to to help with this, and I think I think there still will be an element of that. So sometimes it, it is just a hunch, but as time goes on, um, it, it, it hopefully it will be a bit more evidence based and backed up by some of that data from the from the population health management work. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that there is a little bit of a tension there, isn't there? If you're looking at your population health data, which says something about your local population, on the other hand, you've got GWAF and PCN days, which are the same wherever you are in the country, you're being measured on the same things in the same way, which may or may not resonate, resonate for you. Do, you. do you see a tension there? And then I suppose that the follow-on to that is if, if you're restricted in your capacity and the data is telling you focus on this particular population, Quoff is saying they're actually focus on the other. How how would you resolve that, or is it about how do you find the kind of the middle of that Venn diagram to to try and satisfy everything? Yeah, it's it's really difficult, Tom, and, and I mean just a, another uh, another complexity to add to it. So in a in a PCN, um, it it may be that we look at the at the data, and um, in my PCN there are the five practices. And it may be that there's a uh, a gap in service or a particular need, but just for the patients in one of those one of those five practices, um, oh, and not for the other four. That and and I, I suppose I I very much I, I think it's different for diff- different people actually. Some some people even though we're in a PCN still see their practices population as the as the kind of most important thing. I kind of I. I my practice population is important, but I kind of feel an own ownership to the whole population of the, the PCN, so the the other kind of thirty odd thousand as well. Um, so it's about it's about negotiating, it's about prioritising, and I think as you're just alluding to, Tom, there's there's only only so many people in, in a in a PCN. There's only only so many hours in a day for for people to work, and we we can't do everything. But I think as as long as we're making steps in the right direction, I was going to say baby steps. I'd, I'd like to take big steps, but um, I think we just have to accept that we can't we can't sort all the problems um, kind of in year one. This is it's a much longer term thing, and as long as we're making steps towards that, um, then uh, that, that then that that's great great for the population. Yeah, okay. So in, in that kind of pragmatic example, I suppose, so you've got five practices, one of them wasn't doing so well in whatever it might be, dermatology referrals or outcomes or something. I'm kind of taking that rather than saying, okay, well, how do we train them up in dermatology and, and improve their the quality of their referrals? It might be a case of, well, let's get the other four practices doing that work for them or picking that up or providing some sort of support or supervision there 
rather than focusing on that. So it really is that kind of collaborative approach. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm just trying to think of, um, actually, I'll use a, a, an example, Tom. So um, so one of the GPs in my practice does, uh, he, he's skilled at and enjoys doing minor surgery. So chop uh, yeah. out ingrown toenails and, and bits and pieces. There are, which is kind of an, an extra service um, that uh, that not not all practices um, do. There is some funding for it if, if you want to do do it, but it, it may be that we see in, a, in one of the neighbouring practices that that they can't offer it, um, but that there's a demand by the by their patients, and and it may be that my partner can do do some of their minor surgery. So as you say, it's. I, I don't think there's there's one there's one answer. It might be sharing staff. It might be sending in expertise um, from from an, another practice. It's about finding the the right solution for the right problem, but very much in a in a more collaborative way that, than than the NHS has been set up in the past. Yeah. Okay. So anyone coming to you to talk about doing things differently or how a particular kind of clinical area was doing is much better talking about the PCN as a whole rather than your practice because you might almost deliberately have gaps or you might very be very aware of your gaps but other people are looking after those for you yeah yeah okay fantastic um it, it, we've talked a bit about some of the the other agencies involved in in kind of the the ICS the integrated neighborhood teams in terms of that provision of care there's there's other sort of agencies like the rapid diagnostic centers obviously all sorts of things around the voluntary sector how involved or how involved are they at the moment in the delivery of care and, and kind of managing some of your demand um so that sorry what was the second one tom the rapid diagnostic it, it, it was the voluntary sector and kind of some of the resources they've got i suppose social prescribing and, and everything that might link to yeah, so I think most, uh, speaking from a Devon point of view, I think I'd be surprised if not all of the PCNs have um, have kind of so social prescribers attached to them now. Certainly in my, my PCN, um, we've got access to two um, social prescribers. I, I find them a godsend. Um, uh, 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 they're really, really useful. In fact, I had a conversation with a patient this morning who um, who was in contact with one of our, our social prescribers last year for for a few months and found it really helpful and um, essentially wanted to wanted a, a referral back to them for help for for another problem. So I think for the right patients, um, they're really helpful and they. I, I haven't measured it, but anecdotally, they, they take take work off a, off me in, uh, in in the GP practice, and provide that they can spend much more time with with patients that, that, than I can. Um, I think generally across the the country, the voluntary se uh, voluntary sector or third sector is getting much more involved with um, with with uh, with PCNs and with patients, but I think it's probably very variable. Um, so all, uh, all PCNs are of different maturities. Um, again, the, 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 there's so many things that influence how well a, a, a PCN works. It's the population, it's the practice. It's about, per actually, as in any walk of life, often it could be because of personalities, um, that there's so many things that, that influence that, that maturity. And some of them are less mature, but then there are others, as I mentioned earlier, that are really thriving and flying 
working together um, kind of with neighborhood teams, um, including the, the voluntary and, and community sector. And I know I was hearing a, a, a GP uh, from Oakhampton speaker a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I was just so impressed with, um, sorry, she works in Oakhampton, but her, her PCN is, is kind of north bit of Dartmoor. And she spoke so passionately about the neighborhood team, the links with the mental health services, the links with the voluntary and community, uh, yeah, sorry, the, the voluntary sector. And it's clear that, that that population, that PCN is thriving. The population is getting access to, uh, to, to newer services and newer ways of, of doing things. Um, so that there's, there's a PCN like that, but then there, there'll be others that are, that are much further behind. And I'd probably describe my, my PCN as being somewhere in the middle. Yeah, okay. Um, just, just thinking now about sort of specific bits around um, patient health or population health. Um, obviously, there's lots of different competing health risks at the moment. It talks a bit about COVID, a bit about flu. Before we, we came on air, we were talking about monkeypox. So all, all these different things that are converging, as well as the backlog that we're hearing about, and then there's been more in the news over the last day or so about um, excess deaths and those sorts of things. Where do you see as being the biggest areas of of health being um, negatively impacted? Uh, so when you when you say areas, you're thinking so, so uh, in, in terms of clinical areas or, or therapeutic areas. Um, I think it's difficult to pick out one thing, Tom. I, I mean the and and again, probably most of the attendees will have seen in the media about the the backlogs in. Uh, in care across the NHS, the the waits are uh, the waits are really long. No matter what speciality you're talking about, it will it again it does vary uh, across uh, across the country. I, I suspect because sometimes there will be uh, be an acute trust that has a speciality that's under uh, understaffed or under pr particular pressure, but it's kind of it it's. Yeah, I, I don't think I could pick out one one thing really. Um, I mean, the 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 play uh, the specialities that generally have the the lar the largest numbers of referrals are things like orthopedics, often for kind of hip, hips and knees, um, and things like dermatology. Um, my my experience is that that the weights in dermatology are, are okay. Actually, some of the weights for orthopedics are. Are, are long, um, much longer than, than we, we'd like them ideally. Um, but yeah, I think all, all specialities are, are, are affected. Um, have lots of conversations with um, with patients who, um, in fact, again, I had a conversation with a, with a patient this morning who, who said, oh, I, I was meant to be followed up six months after my last appointment and it's now two and a half years later. I, I phoned the secretary and the, and the secretary said, don't worry, you're on the list, you'll, you'll be seen. Um, but we're, we're just not, not quite sure when. Um, so um, yeah, every every speciality it, it is affected. I, I suppose what one of the things I, the, yeah, one of the things I worry about most thinking about it is it, kind of mental health. Um, mental health that has, Arguably, been uh, been underinvested in for for a long time, um, and with the effects of the pandemic, um, with things like long COVID, 
with again we've all seen in recent weeks kind of the the, the effects of inflation and um and cost of fuel it's like a it's like a perfect storm isn't it and um lots of people have been struggling because of because of covid and actually late, later on in in the year if they're going to have to choose between kind of heating and, and eating and the stresses of kind of looking after their finances um uh, yeah I, I do worry about the, the kind of population's m mental health going forward yeah and, and you talk there about worrying about about mental health with your two different hats so one is a gp one is a as a, an ICS medical director, do you have the same worries with both hats on, or, or are you more worried as a GP about one thing than you might be as a, as a kind of system leader? Um, I suppose. Oh, is it different? I, I, as a as a system as a system leader, I worry. Yeah, the m mental health wor worries me, um, and kind of yeah, the, the effects of kind of um, late late presentations and you know, kind of backlog log of work that, that that and urge urgent care bit of everything i suppose in my what worries me most in my in my day job uh, some of the some of the kind of churn in the system worries me or, or maybe frustrates me is more more of a a, a fair phrase to use um because sometimes our and again, part, part of it is driven by that backlog and those, those long waits and, and people not quite being sure when they're going to be seen or, or what's happening next. They'll often come to come to me to, to kind of chase their referral or find out where their where their scan result is. And actually, and, and I'm not I'm not blaming secondary care for this because actually everyone's under pressure. But when that happens, it, it takes up an, an appointment in primary care. For um, for for someone that that could could have had it with a um, I was going to say with a with a, a true health need I'm not saying the other person didn't but um, but with, um, yeah but but with a kind of an, an on the day um, kind of health issue that that needs sorting so that's that that's kind of what what yeah frustrates me I think on a day to day basis in, in my day job in the practice yeah brilliant thank you. We're coming towards close, but we've still got a couple more questions to go with. Um, over the next six months or so, if you had the resource and capability at your disposal to do, what what would you do differently to? Go, well, I suppose thinking with both hats on, whether there's you know a difference between practice level and ICS level, but yeah, what would you change if you could do? Um, I I think I would. Uh, I've already alluded to it a couple of times, actually, Tom, but I. I, I want to move away from just fighting fires. I, I want to I want to look forward and be a bit more strategic. So I want that that the fires are, are there and they they need they need putting out, but we need a bit of dedicated time to plan for the future because otherwise we're just going to go around a, a continual circle of of, of um, fighting fighting crises, fight, fighting fires rather than thinking about actually regardless of those fires which will happen anyway what what does our what does our population need in five ten years time how do our services need to develop how do the different bits of the ics work together so i think if i if i could ask for one thing it'd be a bit of headspace and time to do that strategic bit of work because it's as important 
as the day to day what what's going what's going on today and and actually i, I think for I, I think that's true in both of my roles so both in my ics medical director role and also for in my in my kind of partner role in my gp practice so having a bit of time to be strategic work out where we need to be in, in a few years time and work on a plan to, to get there yeah and what, what do you think your sort of your nursing or your gp colleagues uh, in primary care would say um i think they i i, I think probably a lot a lot of them I think workforce and stability of 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 their practices. I know a lot of uh, a, a lot of GPs. A, a lot, the majority of, of partners in 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 practices are are, are GPs. That there there are there are others lots and lots of practice managers and nurses are, are partners as well. But they're but their partners are predominantly GPs. So that they're worried about. Uh, about staffing both from a gp point of view and and from uh, actually ge generally clinical point of view i know i said earlier that, that some of the reception staff etc can, can be tricky to, to to recruit but actually they're worried about the the workload and in the context of the dwindling workforce um and uh, I mean, well, one thing I, I don't think I've said yet, Tom, is that there are, for a number of reasons, for lots of people taking kind of uh, earlier retirement than, than they than they would have done, and actually, it just it will make things worse. And again, I I mentioned earlier about kind of well-being of of the staff in the NHS as well, but I worry that um, or just want to improve things so we don't end up in the the vicious circle of um, of people people suffering at work because of the huge um, workload, then it taking a toll on them as individuals, then taking time off work um, because of stress or deciding to leave the professions. Somehow we've got to we've got to break that break that cycle. And I think that's what the I think that's what my GP colleagues um, particularly the partners uh, would be keen to see. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, just just one final question for today. I mean, for, for our our audience, uh, particularly those working in industry, if 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 you had one bit of advice for them in, in engaging with with primary care at the moment, what would that be? Um, I think. I, I again, I, I think there's. I might give two bits of advice, actually, Tom. So, so yeah, I think, I think there's something around that uh, kind of population health work piece that um, that that people will be will be getting on with, and also anything uh, anything that can be done to help with workforce and efficiencies. Again, just going back to, to what I was saying 30 seconds ago, it, it's it's the it's the workload and the workforce that is kind of keeping GPs awake at, at, at night. Um, so anything that, that can be done to, to help with that, uh, I think often you'll, you'll, find, you'll find doors open. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. Um, we've hit three o'clock, so um, that's time for today. So thank you very much for joining me. Great insight there from you. So thank you very much indeed. 
Um, to the audience, um, we are taking a break in September. We've got our symposium at the end of the month um, in place of this. We've got a few tickets left for that. If you go onto our website, you might, might be lucky enough to get one of the last ones. Um, yeah, we'll be back in October with our next instalment of the, the webinars. Um, so thank you very much for now and uh, look after yourselves and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we can support your market access strategy, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk.